It sounds like it's easy, but it isn't. And I think for all entrepreneurs, it's a grind. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands, from developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. I'm really happy to be talking to Andrew Petalov, who's the founder and CEO of Rush Bowls. So welcome to the podcast, Andrew. I'm really happy to have you. Well, thank you so much, Christy, for having me on. There's so many things I want to ask you about, but first I'd like you to just give our listeners a little background on Rush Bowls and a little bit of your story, because I think you have a really interesting path to getting there. It's not the same as a lot of people that I've talked to. So why don't we start with that? Rush Bowls really actually started in 2004. So the trigger on it really was going back. I was former head of derivative fixed income trading desk in New York City. I was living in Manhattan, lived in Manhattan for 15 years, recommended it for everyone for a few few years at least. And 9-11 hits. I'm destroyed by it in many ways, mentally, fortuitously. Mm-hmm. Myself and my family were impacted, but I had an, a lot of friends, a few that jumped. And I decided right then that I was going to figure out a way to do something very different and leave New York City. Over time, 2004 comes. I moved to Boulder, Colorado. I quit my job, buy a house, and start a new business. Not generally recommended way to go, but I, I was lucky. I was very successful in what I did. And I was very confident in that I could do whatever it took to be successful. And when I started Rush, I was really, I wanted to focus on more meal orientation, smoothies or health food in general. I felt there was opportunity there. Again, this is 2004. So we're going back 17, 18 years. Yeah, you were uh, ahead I, of the health curve for sure. Yeah. And coming from New York City, you know, with little children, you had an option of chicken nuggets, a hot dog or a grilled cheese basically across the board. And I wanted to change that. What I did want to focus on an area that in Boulder and generally in Colorado is more health focused than a lot of communities, but also I felt there was a tremendous need within the college community. Yes. Yes. I know when I went to college, God knows what I ate. And I certainly can tell you it wasn't healthy. There aren't options either. So when I opened in Boulder, I wanted to do it in a way that these were meals to go large portions, and we still have extremely large portions, but these were meals and there was a lot of texture to it and it was all health focused. And that's really where Rush started. And we've only grown from there. So there's a lot of stuff in there to talk about. I mean, you made a major decision. It wasn't like you had a plan, right? You moved and then you made a plan. That's pretty wild. I had a plan that I was going to do a rush bowl concept. You know, I didn't even have a name for it yet. I did have that plan. I found real estate really when I bought the house, I was looking for real estate. That was the plan. But in terms of my education to the food business, it was lacking. I also say there was somewhat arrogance and ignorance too, quite frankly, which is never a good combination. I did know that I would do whatever it took to be successful. And a lot is you you grind it out. You work really long days. You really understand your consumer. And for me, it was a very divergent experience. So I'm coming from 
running a trading desk that the answers are very quick. There's no real contact with any consumer, my consumers or other major banks. And mm-hmm. I'm taking risk on behalf of the bank, right? I'm betting. I'm the better, right? So I'm coming in into this business. And who else do you want to bet on? I'd rather bet on myself. Yeah. So that really gave birth to Rush. Along with that was that my eyes on food was coming from a very different perspective. So people got into the food business and you kind of ultimately have blinders on. Yeah. I was coming from a finance business and some of the times I just didn't know any better. But that really gave birth to innovation. Yeah. I was going to ask you, so sometimes I think you're calling it ignorance, but not knowing the category or sort of the business, sometimes that obviously presents challenges. But then on the other hand, were there times when you had perspective that was different than other people might have had that you think was really helpful to you at the beginning? I always had a very strong financial perspective, right? Mm-hmm. So I knew what was coming in, what was going out. Finance to me, just math, it comes easy. That and I was so lacking customer interaction in my previous life that I really wanted customer interaction. It's one of the reasons I wanted to get into food. I wanted to interact with people. So starving for that. So it allowed me to really listen to my consumers create a products that they loved. And even to this day, we are very customer centric. So how did you figure out what customers wanted, you know, 14 years ago? And then how do you keep up with that now? Because obviously it's changing all the time. COVID probably changed it dramatically, right? From a health perspective. How do you figure that out? My role has changed a lot. So my customers for these now, you know, 2016, we started franchising in 2004, you know, 18 years ago, we did that. My customers now in many ways are my franchisees, right? Mm -hmm. My partners Mm -hmm. beyond the store customers. And I think it's taking time, but I have to listen to what they want and be adaptable to that along with consumers. So right away, one of the things which I felt people overlooked was dietary needs. So Rush Bowls is unique within that category is we can accommodate almost any dietary need. Many businesses can do that. The difference with Rush is we don't upcharge people for that. Mm-hmm. So if you have a dietary need, we didn't feel like as a company that you should be punished for it. You shouldn't have to pay more. You build the, what the appropriate amount in, in the price, but it afforded us an opportunity that everyone's on the same page, dietary need or not, we have a product for you. And it's going to be delicious. And that was very important for us. And we started that from day one. And that really has helped us within a lot of the communities. Also having a broad-based menu and not being preachy. Like we have a really healthy product and it's incredibly tasty. But if you want Nutella on it, God bless, we'll put Nutella on it. Like it's mm-hmm. not for us to say, oh my goodness, you know, we don't like that, you know, you putting an extra scoop of peanut butter on it. We grind mm-hmm. our own peanut butter in store and it's delicious. You want an extra scoop? Come on, <laughs> enjoy. It's your life and we want you to enjoy it. And we just want to put our best foot forward to support you. That's amazing. So you started with one store and that was in 2004. And where are you now? So, well, we've had ups and downs along the way. In 2010, I started a wholesale line. We we're in 40 states with Whole Foods and others. Costco. And then in 2016, we did a pivot and went into franchising. 
Now we have 35 stores within the franchising community and corporate, and then we're opening another 15 this year. We just opened in Metairie and New Orleans, and we just opened Minnetonka, Minnesota Tuesday. I think uh, Metairie was the week before. We're opening in tons of new places and tons of new communities from Birmingham, Alabama, Naples, Florida, Jacksonville, another store in Minnesota. We have tons of stores coming. And the interesting part of that is we're hitting communities like Bentonville, Arkansas, Birmingham, Alabama, New Orleans. We feel that are underserved. Yeah. Yeah. We feel that that's a huge opportunity for us because they are underserved. And people shy away from these communities. We want to go head first right into and dive in to provide these healthy, healthy foods. Because the one thing I know, being alive for a long time, is healthy food is here to stay and it's only growing. And yeah. we want to be the leaders in the field. I think it's interesting because when you started mentioning some of those markets, I was like, oh, that's surprising. And it must be like like when you went to Colorado, obviously Colorado is healthy in general, mm-hmm. right? One of the the leader communities in the country from a health perspective. But still, you were doing something that was really different really early on. So is that what it feels like now to go into Alabama? Are you pioneering that space in those communities? Yeah, we have a lot of experience in pioneering, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to phrase that. But because it's very costly to pioneer, right? So very, very. We started in college communities, and we're in a lot of college communities because we felt that If we're going to pioneer something, college students in general are really open-minded and willing to try things. And really, a lot of our consumers, you know, again, we've been in business for 18 years. A lot of these people, a lot of our first early customers have children. The children now are going to Rush Bowls. Um, So it's really one of the most wonderful experiences for us as a company. But we feel that this is just a product that has more and more legs. It's People understand how to eat it. Our busiest time of day is lunch. People are having instead of a Subway or yeah. chicken sandwich or a Burger King or whatever meal that they're having, they can eat something much lower calorically and much healthier and making them feel energized, a whole lot more mm-hmm. energized. So this type of pioneering aspect of building a business, we're very familiar with and we have a lot of success in. So when we're going into these communities, it's hard. I will tell you, you know, getting the word out, But we have a lot of experience of how to do that and why. So when you decide to go into a new market, do you try to like, I worked with a brand at one point that was called Muscle Maker Grill. And they, every time they opened a store, it was near a gym because they knew they were really focused on workout people. Do you have something like that where you go into a market and you try to find a place that's near something relevant? Real estate's its own challenge. Certainly orange theories, being near orange theories or gyms in, in general were something we would look for within these communities because you already have a certain level of customer base coming from them and going forward. But it's even a crumble cookies, which is not a health by any means, yep. but they're a similar demographic. So maybe yep. someone's coming in for a rush bowl but wants to grab a cookie on Friday, right? Yep. So they're coming in every day for a rush bowl that they may want. It's similar demographic, similar buyer. Yeah. And we look at that within communities. It's not our sole decision either. One thing I've realized running a business for a long time, especially with franchisees, it's imperative we train them to make sure they're as well-equipped as possible to support their customers. And that's something we put a lot of time and effort in. 
And that's really the success of the business is really the customer interaction and love of the product. For yeah. us, it's never people don't like the products. It's always just making sure that customer experience is incredible. So what do you do from a training perspective that's different than what you've heard other franchise organizations do? We train them there at their location. We felt that that's a big deal. A lot of them bring them in and we used to do that, bring them in they train them here and then go back out there. We send a team out to these locations and train them on every step of the way from every aspect of customer interaction, how to make it, how to do everything on their own turf per se, right? In their uh-huh. own store. They understand the steps in their store, which, you know, one beautiful parts of Rush Bowls is that we're a very flexible setup. We can be in 300 square feet. We can be in a thousand square feet. We can wow. be in 1500 square feet. And we have all different sizes. And with that, you have to be really efficient in your setup and your structure. So we work with you the whole way through. And even when you sign a lease, every week we're going over NRO, what you should do, the date on this, we're following up with you. But sending a team to get you on your feet will help you discuss your employees that you've hired. We'll go through every aspect of it and still continue. Now, what's really unusual about Rush also is my employees that my team members here, they all have experience running a Rush Bowl store. So when you're talking to someone, they have a really strong understanding of what it takes, what's involved. And that's really unusual within our size and scope. Now, I'm not sure I can always do that, but that's the first place we look. It also gives managers of different stores the opportunity for growth within corporate. Mm -hmm. So it's important for us as an organization to really support the people that have been supporting us. Yeah, that's great. Because I think that that probably gives you the opportunity to hire people that are looking for something more. That's just a different mindset, I think, than just hiring employees that you know, we're coming to work every day and going home, but not really thinking about what's next, you know? So for them, your success is their success. And that's obviously really important. And we've had a lot of luck with it too. Yeah. That's awesome. When you think about, you know, the podcast, this podcast, there are lots of founders that listen to it and they're always looking for advice and trying to understand the challenges that other people have faced and how they've handled them. Is there anything that you think about when I say that, that makes you say, yeah, I went through this and I'd I'd say, don't do that. Or I'd say, this is an approach that I would have taken. It's funny. And I think it's somewhat an approach in life too, you know, nothing's so black and white. And sometimes the first permutation gives thought to the second or third, which is really where the success lies. But you know, I grind it out a lot. It sounds like it's easy, but it isn't. And I think for Uh all entrepreneurs, it's a grind. And, you know, if you have a belief and fundamentally it makes sense, you got to just grind it out. You got to talk to people. There's a lot of communities and I know Boulder's really good about it, especially in technology that give you great ideas. They'll work with you, be open. You know, everyone's like, oh, they may steal my idea. Yeah. You have a certain portion of that, but I think 95% of it, it's not that. A lot of it is about execution And if you have experienced people to help, ask or look for that within a community. Besides that, you got to have a stiff upper lip, as they say, Uh you know, it's a grind and it's still a grind. You know, I'm still. I was going to ask you, does it end? Does the grind end? I think it maybe gets a little deferred a little bit or it goes to, you know, someone else a little bit, but Mm -hmm. depends what you want. I'm very much involved in the company and all levels. 
And at some point, I, you know, I'll look to be less involved, but at this juncture, we're still a young company in franchising at least. And it's important that we really see the direction of it. And I emulate Starbucks and actually Starbucks just announced that the CEO stepped down and the interim CEO is Howard Schultz again, just wow. to get it kind of yeah. directed. This consistency within the organization. Like I said, my CMO was my manager 17 years ago. So as long as everyone's cross-trained, well-trained, can answer the questions, I think hopefully that defers some of the grind. Again, it's a customer service business and you have to be focused on that. And coming from my background as from a trading desk, it took a while to adjust to that. You know, usually my answers were one or two word answers and mm-hmm. try to be a social guy, but I'm very direct and you needed to be in, in that type of business. Yeah, um, yeah. But certainly it was an adjustment for me. There's two things I want to ask you about. So one thing I think that's really interesting that you touched on that I haven't really heard anyone talk about, which is amazing because I even feel it sometimes, the idea of either collaborating or doing these kind of groups of people that where you talk about your ideas and you're kind of throwing yourself out into the open. And I think people do worry about ownership. And I think that to me, I mean, because I'm a creative by background, the collaboration is where all the magic happens, right? Sitting by yourself and thinking and thinking and thinking is good. But until you start saying things out loud to other people and bouncing ideas around and being open to like, maybe I don't know all the things and maybe it, my idea isn't exactly right. That's hard for entrepreneurs. That's really hard. It sounds important. I think it's crucial because there's mm-hmm. a lot of people that have done that. Again, what makes a company successful is not just the idea, it's the execution a lot of times, yeah. right? So yes. we were unique that we had this idea early or than in anyone else. But honestly, if we don't execute, we won't succeed. Yeah. So it's about execution along with the great idea. And a lot of people have a lot of great experience on execution. So it's that marriage of being lucky also, but certainly both executing and being innovative. When you are feeling like, God, this is a grind and it's still a grind, where Mm -hmm. do you get inspiration from or where do you get the sort of like, I know what I need to do and I can just keep going? For me, and it's been very tough, honestly, for the past few years, but travel Mm. in certain places. I'm... I love Moab, honestly, and I know it's going to get a sense of the grandeur of Moab. Mm-hmm. If you haven't been there, it's a I special haven't. place, at least for me. But travel in general, if you can do that, that helps me trying to exercise and do those simple things to do to make life a little more enjoyable. Yeah, that makes sense. When you started, were you self-funded or did you have to go through capital raising and stuff like that? I own all the companies 100% and mm-hmm. everything's been self-funded. When I started the wholesale business, I did raise capital for that. Mm-hmm. So I have experience in that, but everything pretty much is self-funded, including, which is very rare, a company yeah. of franchising of this size to be 100% owned and profitable yeah. and self-funded is very rare. It's also no private equity involved. So. Wow. Well, congratulations on that, because that's one of the things I think people struggle with the most um, yeah. I mean, I, was at Ex- I told you I was at Expo West and that's what everyone was talking about. Like they just wanted either to get picked up by a retailer or they were out there raising capital for sure. And it's a very different business in terms of I've had really incredible experience with it and it wasn't a happy ending, quite frankly. So mm-hmm. it was experience that helped me grow a little bit, but we had brush bowls at Expo West for many years and we were in 
like I said earlier, 40 states with Whole Foods, I was in a situation that a co-packer went out of business on me overnight. Oh, wow. So our co-packer. Wow. So it became a much bigger issue in terms mm-hmm. of they just closed down and out of the blue for legal issues that we were totally unaware of. So that really was a very unique kind of situation. In that business model, I think I might have mentioned this, but I run three different businesses, quite frankly. A wholesale business, which is Expo West, getting on store shelves, a retail store, and then franchising. Mm-hmm. Other than sharing the Rush Bowl name, they They're have totally nothing different. to do with each other. And wow. I will tell you, that is one of the best things for me as a person too, because I had to learn and understand all three That's parts wild. of the business. That's a lot. And within Expo West, the reason people raise capital a lot is your only exit on that literally is being bought. You mm-hmm. know, it's not an easy exit. Yes. All these store chains and everything else want their pound of flesh. They want to yeah. charge you slotting fees or whatever yeah. it may be. The distributors want it. It's, it's a very tough business when 99% or 95% of food is controlled by 10 companies. Will you go back to retail ever? Yeah. You know, we think about it all mm-hmm. the time. I'm asked for the product all the time. Yeah. I think it's something that we definitely want to explore. We just want to get franchising in a larger scale to do that. And then do I license it or do Mm -hmm. I, you know, manufacture ourselves? And that's always a conundrum. Awesome. Well, that's exciting. Is there any advice you would give to anyone aside from what you've already said that you would say, if you're thinking about going into any kind of business, because whether you're starting a brand that's going to be a CPG brand or a concept like yours or anything. I mean, there are challenges obviously that we all face and you've talked about some of them already, but is there anything that you wish that someone had told you at the beginning? Yeah, I didn't do enough homework, quite frankly. Do your research, understand certainly every aspect. If it's a manufacturing thing, understand where the raw goods are coming from and what the pricing on the raw goods are. Understand a lot of aspects, what it takes to run a business. I work for big corporations. I didn't really understand, you know, the whole employee tax, you know, a lot of the individual benefits of owning your own business tax-wise, which is a positive, but certainly do homework on it. Don't jump in and think you're going to just figure it out. I think there's a lot of homework. Now, it can't be analysis paralysis, I think. And some people suffer from that. So they're going to analyze, analyze, analyze. At some point, you're going to have to take that jump, that leap of faith. Now, I was very much trained on risk management, understanding and taking risk all the time. So that leap of faith was a hell of a lot easier for me than many, Mm -hmm. but it's still a leap of faith. And I think you want to minimize as much risk as you can by doing that, by being as educated as you can within that business model. Yeah. I think some people think that passion will carry them through and it doesn't always. And some people think that a specific kind of background will carry them through, but there are a lot of aspects to it. I think that's, I think even for me, when I bought this company from the owner before me, I didn't really know. I thought I knew like you yeah. think you know stuff. And then all of a sudden you're like, huh, I didn't know that. That wasn't what I was expecting. There's so many things I wasn't expecting when I mean, you just have to sort of figure it out, but it's not easy. And the other thing is I would never come out of a day and not do something that day slightly differently. So. Mm-hmm. Learn from your experience is very cliche, but I would not do the same thing any day of my life. I would at least take away something slightly different and have to be major changes, but always trying to be a little flexible and understanding that this is the direction I want to hit. It may not be natural to go this way, but I'm going to go this way. Yeah. Interesting. 
Are there any people that you follow, like not really mentors, but people that you say, oh, I'm going to read that book and that book. And that's really helped me. Those guys are awesome. I read a lot, a lot of different books on nonfiction books because most of those nonfiction books are more crazy and you would think fiction than reality. But I do read a lot about the Revolutionary War and what it took and the good, the bad, the different Ben Franklin and the leaders oh. that shaped this country. And I've been kind of focused on that recently and reading a lot of books in terms of George Washington, Franklin. Interesting and how they established this place called the U.S. and the difficulties that were there and the political aspects to things and the differences of opinion and education. And it's just fascinating to me. But I do it more for enjoyment than really insightfulness, but Mm -hmm. it is an interesting aspect. Definitely. Um, One more question for you before we wrap up. There were people starting brands when you started that brand, but now everyone, it feels like there are just thousands and thousands of brands that launch every single month, never mind year. What do you think it takes to make a successful brand, whether it be a store concept like yours or a CPG health brand? Like what is it that, that someone needs to have to get beyond all of the other guys that are just sort of winging it? The difference now is Barrett Entry, right? Mm -hmm. You have Amazon, you can have a million different aspects of things that you can launch a brand. But ultimately, if you have a crappy product, you're not going to be successful. Maybe short term you will be, but you know we've been around for, like I said, 18 years. We put a huge emphasis on being the best and having the best product and trying to give the consumers value for that product. Yeah. And I think ultimately, you could be a flash in the pan or you could be a, a brand that's been around. And I'd rather be a brand that people love and has been around for a long time. Yeah. And that's harder. It's a lot harder. How many brands have been around for you know 20 years? It sounds like a short period of time. Some of the brands I kind of look up to in certain ways is Starbucks. I think mm-hmm. they revolutionized how we looked at coffee and certainly are still very much focused on coffee. Then you do what you do very well. And that's one of the reasons we don't, as a company, go into a lot of the more esoteric. We don't go into you know sandwiches. We're not a deli. We focus mm-hmm. on being the best within our product which is bowls and smoothies and, you know, brush bites and other stuff like that. But we really focused on being the best within our sector and being diversified within our sector. So different flavor sets. And that's why I feel the most successful companies do that and do that really well. Yeah. I think there's a temptation to spread yourself way too thin and from an innovation perspective, and that just confuses people and leads to all kinds of problems. And you can't do everything well, especially, you know, you're dependent on great employees. You can't put them in a stressful situation either. Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I love your story. I think it's going to be really inspiring for our listeners and I'm, and congratulations. I mean, being around for that many years is, is a real testament to doing something very, very right. I mean, it's, it's hard. It's definitely hard. And so the fact that you're doing it and you're still growing is incredible. Well, thank you so much for your time. And it's always so nice talking to you and thanks again. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday.